You're listening to Street Life, a podcast about street photography with John St. and Mark Davidson. You're listening to Street Life. I'm Mark Davidson, a street photographer from Melbourne, Australia. And with me, as always, the man who puts the hassle in Hasselblad, my mate John St. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks, Mark. So now you're lining me up with Leica, and now it's Hasselblad. <laughs> Just trying to get you Jesus some, uh, some sponsorship opportunities. It's not going to happen. It's <laughs> not going to happen. But thank you so much for looking after my well-being and bank balance, Mark. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, mate. You're, well, you're back in the world of work again, John. Can we... have <laughs> got a job. <laughs> don't, make, don't make it sound like I was, like, unemployable, Mark. <laughs> it was... It was uh, I had 18 months off through choice, yeah. and, and now I'm back having to work for a living. How's it going? And I'm loving it, Mark. I love it. I really do. I love working for a living. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Honestly, it's good to be back and using my brain again. You know, 18 months was a great break, but back, yes, yeah, so I'm back working in the education system. Well, it's less shooting, though, surely? Yeah, it is, but I've got about 18 gig worth of photos to go Actually, through. 18 terabytes worth of images You're to go through. So. You do not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, nah, not 18. I think it's about six. Jesus. So I think I've got enough to keep me going for a little yeah, while, Mark. Well, little while. Sounds like it, yes. <laughs> How about you? What's been going on in your world? Well, I just missed your exhibition. You had an exhibition in Sydney, oh. Rosu, which um, I couldn't make it up to, unfortunately, but it looked amazing. You and uh, our mutual friend Adrian and uh, and Perry yeah. looked, uh, uh, looked great. And yeah. Tamil. Yeah, it was It was good. I love the way you just batted that straight across the net, Mark, right back at me. Yes, it was. Rosu AU Volume 2. It was a guerrilla-style exhibition in a side street, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And it was. Uh, we were a bit worried that the police were going to shut us down. But thankfully, oh, was that they you didn't have permission or anything. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, no, it was proper Rosie type thing. So, oh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Obviously, they had a lot more drunks to contend with that night than us. Beautiful. So it went really well. It went exceptionally well, and it was really nice just to see your images that big up on the wall. Of and, course, yeah. You know, and lots of people who were walking past actually stopped to to look at it, which was great. Magnificent. You know? It big was turnout. really good. Yeah, it was all right. I think I think if uh, if Perry and 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 the team continue it i think it will be a growing thing and it'll attract more people i think it's very interesting it's free there's not many things in sydney that are free people so if you ever see come you know come along we had a we had a, a sax player there it was good yeah I saw him. you know and then we went for drinks afterwards and it was good to catch up with adrian i hadn't seen him for over 18 months yeah and, nice and monique and lots of other and lots of other like-minded people you know that's good but mark i just want to touch on this and i know you're going to cringe a bit I think as a few podcasts ago, you said you were leaning towards my argument of not entering competitions again, Mark. And here we are, back again. Dave was winning everything. He's winning everything. Yeah. What happened to that, Mark? I'm oh. not entering competitions anymore. I'm not entering. I'm not entering. Well, I got back from <laughs> Hong Kong, and I just thought I'd chuck some stuff in, in one of the <laughs> in the Istanbul ah. one. Yeah, well. Very happy with the win. I was yeah. very pleased. And, you know, my prize was a Sony, so you can have it if you want. Have <laughs> 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 listen to our podcast? <laughs> I'll give you a good a prize Sony. for it, yeah. Oh, my God. You couldn't pay me to take it. Anyway, that's great. Oh, you got a Sony. What'd you get? An A7 what? Four? No, I don't know what it is. Some Something. Starts with an A. I can't remember. I should know. Sorry. Another camera. Well, you know what, Mark? You live in Melbourne. There's plenty of trams there for you to shoot. So that's great, mate. 
become a Sony shooter. You will. You will, mate. That's great. Well, congratulations. I didn't realise you won something that expensive. Thank you very much. No, it was uh, was very good. Um, It's an awesome competition. Istanbul, um, yeah, great place to shoot, obviously. And, yeah, I just wanted to support what they're doing. So they run a great festival. And, um, yeah, I was happy to walk away with the the win. A great prize that you've threatening to flog already that's brilliant mate well done <laughs> anyway that's great. enough about me our guest is <laughs> joining us on the line he's been very patient the sony so. <laughs> oh my god the sony anyway oh yes we do we have a wonderful guest with us today we have stephen dupont is an australian photographer based in new south wales stephen is one of australia's most acclaimed photojournalists whose work focuses largely on the human condition war and the climate in 2007, he was a recipient of the W. Eugene Smith Grant for Humanistic Photography and is working on in and on Afghanistan. He has also won the Robert Kappa Gold Medal and several World Press Photo Awards. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Stephen to the Street Life Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Stephen, thank you so much for your Mark time. As well. um, yep. <laughs> lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Your work is so inspirational and um, you've had a long and distinguished career, Stephen. It's kind of hard to know where to start, but um, let me ask you, did you always want to be a photojournalist from a young age? Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Since I think pretty much since I left school um, and I did the HSC uh, and then went traveling for a year and found photography while I was traveling. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it sort of, or, or it found me in a way. I mean, I, I had a, I had a camera and I was just, you know, taking travel, travel shots along the way when I was, I was 18 and, uh, I was sort of backpacking around the world and, um, wasn't sure what I was going to do, you know, as a career. And I think, uh, I just loved, I just loved taking photographs so much. And I thought, well, shit why not you know try and make a career of it you know like I hadn't I had no I had nothing else in my mind of of what I I think at one point I I wanted to be a sound engineer um then a filmmaker you know I was really interested in horror films Mm. special effects and all that kind of stuff as a young kid but then photography really got in you know got in got into my soul in a way I mean I met some photographers and I love what they were doing. I love their lifestyle <laughs> a lot. Uh, in fact, the lifestyle kind of, you know, really encouraged me, um, you know, just as much as the actual photography side of things. I, I wanted, I just wanted that travel and that freedom to just go and explore the world and, and, and have fun. And photography was, was that window, that opening for me. Stephen, I love that. Didn't tell us where you went. So was it sort of the traditional backpacking through Southeast Asia, or, or where'd, where'd you go? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm, I'm not that young, you know. So I don't know how traditional it was when I went. I, ah. I went in 19, 1985 or something like that. Um, I suppose. What did I do? I did an around the world ticket for a year, and I went to Japan. Wow. And then I went from Japan to Brazil. Cool. Why I took this route, I don't know. It was just part of the round-the-world ticket. And then from Brazil, I went up to London and then all through Europe. And then from Europe, I went to India. Then I went to Nepal. And then I went to Thailand. Wow. And then I came home. And that was a year. Yeah, yeah. So And backpacking the whole way and, you know, just uh, li- living, living on the street and living in hostels or... <laughs> Uh, you know, having having the time of my life, really. I mean, it was uh, it was especially you know going to a place like India for the first time yeah. as a 
as a, as an eighteen year old was was just mind blowing. I mean, I, I you know I just com- was in complete culture shock, and at the same time, it was just visually mind blowing. So I guess that's when photography really hit me when I was in India. I was like, wow, I've got to photograph this place. This yeah. is just this is insane. It's like madness and mayhem and 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 just the smells and the and the, and and the, the light and and everything was just overwhelming and and it was a major influence on me and and in fact India has become or you know even through my whole life it's the place that I keep going back to um, I suppose mm. and uh, have photographed a lot in India I've seen a lot of India. Do you still have um, some photos from that time? Do you- oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I remember. My first when I went when I came home and I, I I had I built a little dark room and taught myself to print. Mm. I'm printing a couple of these photographs from India and Nepal. They were kind of like portraits, you know. I mean, I think there was like a sadhu and and just a, a couple of kids in the in the Himalayas and you know pretty basic kind of photos. Um, but yeah, you know, I like them enough to want to print them. In fact, they became. I suppose part of my first portfolio mm. that I would take around to see if I could get work. You know, I, I'm, you know, pretty much I was trying to be a photographer as soon as I got back from that trip. So, um, yeah, I have those pictures. Um, yeah, so I guess they're the first, the first photos I took. So you said that you got inspired to become a photographer by people that you'd met along the way. What, what genre did? Was it documentary style photography that you were doing? Because I can't imagine you doing travel <laughs> photography, Stephen. No, it wasn't travel. It would look. I would call it more documentary style photography. Mm. Uh, well, in fact, when I was traveling, I think it was more. You know, I, I would say borderline happy snaps. You know, I mean, <laughs> um, they weren't they weren't that good. The pictures weren't very good. But but you know, I met I met a National Geographic photographer in Japan. Oh. I can't. I can't remember the photographer, unfortunately. Um, but it was a. It was a man, and he, the way he spoke about photography and the way he mm. spoke about his his working for National Geographic was, mm. was was just incredible. And it was sort of like, wow, I really would love to do that, you know. And he was sort of photographing temples in Kyoto and so mm. forth. And then I and then I met a wildlife photographer also for National Geographic in India while I was up at Corbett National Park, um, you know, looking for tigers. Um, it's, the, it's the place where you can, you can mm. find tigers. And, and this was a t- like this, this was at that time, I guess, the, the world's greatest tiger photographer. And, again, I can't remember <laughs> the person's name, unfortunately. Um, but, but, and two, two kinds of photography mm. that I got interested in, you know, mm-hmm. but yet they were the photographers that, that kind of opened the door to photography, I guess, mm. but my inspiration came from experiencing life and and looking at the world, mm. um, and by doing that, when I came back from that trip, that original trip, I started to look at books and started to look at photographers' works, and and in fact, it was you know there were some you know some very important photographers that inspired me more than anything, and that that's what really got me interested in the kind of photography that I wanted to pursue, um, which is, I guess, predominantly documentary, photojournalism, mm. and even street photography, you know. 
Uh, and touching on that, I was going to say that's a big jump into going. Like, what made you want to go into photojournalism and not initially like take the step in like street photography first? You know, that yeah. would have been like baby steps type thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It doesn't pay. I don't know. They kind of blur with me because mm. yeah, I they feel do. like I, I agree. I, well, I've always been always classified myself as a street photographer. When, whenever I'm on the street and I'm photographing. Mm. I'm only looking for candid moments and that, mm. that that goes into the heart and soul of my photography generally mm. is that I don't set things up. I capture things that are happening and that is at the heart of street photography, as you guys well, well know. Um, so when I am on the street, then I'm a street photographer. But then if I'm making a photo essay for a magazine or I'm doing a project-based thing, then I guess it's more documentary where the same principles I follow, except that, you know, there are times when you're doing a portrait or, you know, there's some sort of semi-direction involved or there's there's research, there's permissions, many things that um, are not a part of street photography. So, you know, I, I definitely work between the two worlds and um and and I'm very um I'm very conscious in general just to 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 really honor honor the moment you know, in my photography. So Stephen, you year off or spent a year traveling, you got bitten by the photography bug, you come back to Australia, presumably you don't have a job. So how did you go about getting into the industry? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> firstly, firstly, I went up to my mum and I said, mum, I know what I want to do. I said, well, she said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a photographer. She goes, well, will you make money? And mm -hmm. I said, I hope so. I don't know. I said, and then I think somehow, and she used to remind me of this. She said, you told me that you would be a millionaire by the time you were 30 years old. Oh. I don't remember ever telling her that. <laughs> she, did, she did often bring that up. And I said that I would become a millionaire through photography. Well, obviously that never happened. <laughs> photography, <laughs> photography was never, was never uh, something that made me, much money um and 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 in fact it brings up a kind of interesting uh philosophical thing for me because you know i i actually didn't become a photographer to make money at all you know i i, I actually became a photographer because i love photography <laughs> first and foremost and i wanted freedom i i wanted enough money to survive i wanted enough money to buy a camera and enough money to travel mm. and and enough money just to be able to be a nomad and, and to have that kind of freedom where I didn't have to rely on an income. I didn't have to work staff for anyone. I, you know, I could be my own boss. And, mm. and in fact, I've declined every job that's been offered to me in terms of a staff job. I've kept true to my, my original uh, dream, which was to be a freelance photographer and only ever be a freelance photographer. And, uh, and I've struggled and, you know, I've worked my way up the ladder. Um, so, you know, when I, when I first started, I was looking for work. You know, I, I, I think the first photographer I met in Australia was a guy called Stuart Davidson. That name probably doesn't ring a bell, but he was a big-time good weekend photographer um, back then, about 1985, 86, um, really good photographer. Um, actually came from my my um 
my world is in where I grew up in the Western suburbs. Stuart came from there and he knew my brother. And so I had this connection. And so he introduced me to Stuart and then Stuart kind of got me started. And he said, look, you know, the best way to do it is to, you know, he said, go on, go and photograph, just go out and photograph, make a portfolio and then go and see people like see the magazines, see the newspapers and so forth. So that's kind of how it started. And, uh, and he asked me what I was interested in. I said, look, I love music and I love going to see bands. So he said, go photograph bands. Mm. He said, that will teach you so much about photography because it'll teach you about lighting. Mm. It'll put you in the worst lighting conditions imaginable. You'll have <laughs> to really work really hard to make photographs. You'll need to work on capturing those moments of on stage. So that discipline and that training and that self-training of mine that started off in rock and roll photography was where it all started. And it was, and it was an incredible training ground. And I thank Stuart for that. He sadly, he's not around anymore. He, he, um, he, yeah, he, he passed away quite a while ago, but um, from there, I, I moved to Sydney and I started to go and meet photographers and I assisted. I was assisting fashion photographers, corporate photographers, advertising, of course, I talked my way into becoming an assistant saying, you know, I'm incredibly um, experienced and I know about lighting and I can do this and I can do that. I knew nothing about anything, but I had the gift of the gab and I managed to get in, actually work for some very well-known fashion and corporate photographers. And I learned along the way. I sort of just trained myself and I watched and learned and and that's what started it in terms of you know, building up a little bit of income, but in my heart, you know, my heart was in documentary photography and my heart was in following that, I guess, that Magnum school of photography, which, mm. you know, inspired me. And a lot of the photographers from Magnum were the people that I was interested in and, mm. and, and loved their work. So I was, I was really set on becoming that kind of photographer, but I knew I had to take the steps. And, um, and then it took many years before, I really got to the point where I went out and I photographed my first, I guess, serious photo essay, which was two months in a in a hospital in the western suburbs of Sydney, in a in a casualty ward and hospital where I was actually inspired by um, Eugene Richards. Um, he did a great book called The Gun and Knife Club, right. uh, which is set in New York City, where he 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 just covered an accident and emergency ward. And that was really inspiring. And so I kind of did the same thing. Wow. That was the first published photo essay I, I, I had ever published in Australia. And, um, and I'm still quite proud of those pictures, some of them anyway. One of the pictures made the cover of The Good Weekend. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was, you know, kind of cool as a young up-and-coming photographer. And were you pitching your own stories back then or were you? Yeah, 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 pretty much everything. I mean, look, you know, as a freelancer, you need an agency. So back then it was the world of agencies. It's not it's not so much like that anymore. It's changed so much. But, uh, you know, I was with um, a, a, a Sydney agency called Sydney Freelance, actually. Uh, it was run by a French couple, Patrick and Sylvie Riviere. And, and in fact, Patrick Riviere was a really great press photographer, very much from the gamma gamma sigma uh, kind of school of french french press photography really great really fast he taught me how to work really quickly mm. um and 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 to cover news and in particular 
you know, it was celebrity based mostly. So we were, we were out running around, you know, papping people and getting celebrity photos, which that's what the market wanted. And uh, the agency, that's pretty much what they were dealing with. So, I, and, and we were dealing with the French, you know, we were working through Gamma and Sigma as well and um, Sigma and people like that. Patrick was also connected with Agents Front Express. So he was doing stuff for them too. But that taught me a lot about, about the pressure. Um, that you have when you're on the street and you're photographing a news story, you know, or or chasing celebrities as it as it you know as it was back then. But um, and then from there, you know, I mean that that sort of introduced me to the world of photo agencies. Um, and I think I spent I spent a year on a newspaper as a casual, which was the Australian. That was good training as well. Mm-hmm. Taught me a lot about printing in the dark room and then working on a daily. Um, you know, uh, pressure, you know, a daily kind of routine of getting getting photos to the desk and, you know, the deadlines and so forth. And um, and then after that, I was, I mean, you know, I'm probably, this probably sounds like a long time, but this is all kind of, this is only like a few years, you know. Mm. And, then, and then, you know, by the time I'm sort of 24 or 25, I'm, I'm going off to cover the Vietnamese withdrawal from Cambodia. And that was for Playboy magazine. So that was kind of wow. first big overseas assignment. And it was very rock and roll, you know, to get Playboy on board and to yeah. to go over to, you know, Vietnam and to go to the place that I suppose, you know, when I think of my great admirers, you know, the people that I admire most were people like Don McCullen who mm. covered the Vietnam War. And so I was going back into Vietnam to, you know, to sort of, well, obviously not the Vietnam War, but to, to get a sense of what... Mm what Saigon was like and, and you know, these kind of places. So it was pretty exciting as a, as a young person. I imagine. So that was the Vietnam War, the withdrawal was your first taste of, I would say, war-torn conflict and things like that, Stephen, is well, that correct? Well, that wasn't conflict at all. That was that was purely a, a peaceful story. The, the troops right. were coming back from Vietnam. Oh, sorry, the Vietnamese troops were coming out of Cambodia. So right. they... So since the end of the uh, the the genocide in Cambodia, the Vietnamese were in control of Cambodia, mm. but they had pulled out and to let Cambodia, you know, become independent again. Um, and it was a big deal. It was a big story. But what was interesting? It was the first time that Western media were allowed into Vietnam since the end of the Vietnam War in 75. So the only press prior to us were Russians or North Koreans or Chinese or what, you know, communist press. So Mm. we were the first, you know, and it was a media frenzy. I mean, there were a lot of, there were a lot of press photographers there um, and including a lot of photographers that have obviously covered the Vietnam War as well. Um, You know, I mean, Tim Page and people like that were there. So, it was interesting, but I, I suppose my f- first conflict was on the same trip, but it was a side trip up to the Burmese border where oh. I went to. I went into Burma with the Karen National Liberation Front, <laughs> and uh, and saw a little bit of uh, action up there, and and just more more about the kind of the scars of war mm-hmm. as opposed to the the action. Just what. What are the scars on the people on the on the Karen and and the and the children and and the refugees and and things was really eye opening. It was very powerful, um, yeah. But you know, I kind of culminate the whole thing because it was all on the same trip. 
And, you know, I'm doing lots of, I'm doing different stories. I'm doing a story for Playboy. I'm going up to do the Karen just for my own photo mm. essay to try and sell it later. Mm. Um, in fact, I sold some, some essays to the Australian newspaper when I got home. So, you know, as a freelancer, you're constantly just, you're, you're going out and you're just doing stuff because um, you're going to have to go back and try and get it published. You know, I mean, there's no, no internet. There's no, there's no, you know, this is, this is like, I'm bringing my films back and I'm yeah. going to process and edit and then, and then try and place them in a magazine or a paper. Just excuse my ignorance. How did you get dragged into the, the Burmese type thing? Like you said, you got dragged in by, you know, how, how, you just made it, you made it sound so casual. I was in yeah. Vietnam and I got dragged through. How, how yeah. did you get yourself into that situation, Stephen? Like what happened? Did you meet right. a bloke in a pub or what? Yeah, you just, I don't know, you just go with the flow, I suppose. I mean, I was with a mate of mine, Ben Bohane, who's a, a really good writer and also a photographer. Um, and it was both our first story together um mm. ben was writing and i was photographing um and we just we were just adventurous you know we just wanted to we just wanted you know we were kind of adventurous a little bit naive um maybe a little, <laughs> bit, gung, a little bit gung-ho mm. and we wanted to make a name for ourselves and we want to you know have an adventure and and so we basically just took off and we had mm. i remember we had some contacts and they got us to the border and then the Karen picked us up and they took us over into Burma. So this is all illegal. I mean, this is all kind of yes. crossing, yeah, yeah. you know, with, with, with the rebels. Yeah. Um, but we felt totally, you know, welcomed and, mm. you know, um, but it's amazing. Yeah. When I think back, it's like you just put your trust in people you don't know and you just hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a few issues along the way where we nearly got robbed and this and that and, you know, um, scammed and things, but mm. you, know, you learn these things along the way. You learn street savvy kind of behavior and mm. and you go with your gut and, uh, and, and that's sort of been my way, you know, ever since, you know, go with your gut feeling and, and put trust in people that, you know, you feel, you feel comfortable with and, you know, and hope that, you know, that they're, they're not going to kind of shoot you in the back. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you find that your guard is let down more when you're in situations overseas and say, particularly at home or something like this, like, you know, like you're just willing to, like you said, go with the flow. Whereas maybe if you were in Australia, go, hold on, I'm not gone with that gangster type thing. You know what I mean? Or doesn't Mate, it matter for you? Oh, uh, look, I think, I think now I'm much more in tune. I mean, with the experiences I've had and yes. um, I'm much more s sort of, you know, street smart. And yeah. um, uh, I, I think I, no, I, I, I do, um, I do, I do my research. I do my, you know, I, 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 yeah. I still go with my gut as yeah. well, but you know, I think you always have to. Um, and you have to appreciate and honor your fear when you mm -hmm. go to these kinds of places because fear, here is a, a wonderful natural uh, ability to to fight uh, something if something goes wrong, um, and and so you know there are all these things that you take on board where you really just um, yeah it's it's part of life it's part of just experience really, mm. um, and and I think I've taken those experiences and and really uh, used them um, through different stages of my life you know different wars different scenarios and and even back home in Australia, like you said, I think you just, it doesn't really leave you. Um, mm. I think I'm still the same person back here as I am when I'm traveling. Mm. Um, I'm just dealing with 
with different people and 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 you know different spectrums <laughs> different <laughs> sort of you know adventures and and different you know scenarios and yes um yeah i don't i don't know it's an interesting question but yeah well speaking of adventures Stephen, you um some of your most famous works in Afghanistan. I think you photographed in that country for about 20 years more um, from the 90s mm-hmm. right up until 2014. So what led you to Afghanistan? And tell us a little bit about your time photographing there. Well, I was living in London at the time. So it's kind of early on in my career. So, you know, when I kind of mentioned this agency in Sydney and this trip to Vietnam and, and Asia, soon after that, I I, I was on a plane to well, I went to New York, tried to find a photo agency there. So I was looking for an international agency now, and uh, and that that didn't really work out. I spent a couple of months there, and I think um, someone had suggested I go to London and see this agent, and so I did and ended up finding an agency in London and staying in London for the next seven years. So, um, and, and in fact, London was was my training ground in, in a way. I mean, um, Australia were baby steps and they were just kind of like experimental and, you know, a lot of learning and, 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 but, but when you get to London, you, you, you're faced with the best in the world. I mean, you are up against everyone and, and that's what I wanted. Mm. I needed that challenge. I needed that um, pressure and I couldn't do it in Australia. So I had to go to London. I had to compete with the best in the world. So found an agency and, um, and then started to, again, you know, I'm freelancing. So I'm, I'm going out and I'm making stories and now I'm working for the independent and the guardian and the times and, and, and people like that, you know, um, and Afghanistan, you know, because I'm researching all the time and looking for stories. You know, the Bosnian War was kind of pretty tense then. It was it was going off at that particular time. This is '93, mm-hmm. and um, so we we're kind of in the middle of the Bosnian War. But the whole world was in Bosnia, and I was just like, I don't want to be in the media circus. I wanted to mm-hmm. find my own my own place and my own conflict, I suppose. <laughs> and at, when mm-hmm. Afghanistan came my way, it was a story about refugees that were fleeing the country. Um, and I remember reading the newspaper report. It was just like 100,000 refugees are fleeing Afghanistan into Tajikistan across the border and there were Russian soldiers like mm-hmm. it was a Turkish shoot. They were just shooting them in the Amudarya River as they were trying to flee their own war. Mm-hmm. So the civil war had erupted in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And the absurdity of this scenario and and just the desperation of these refugees um and then just looking at the bigger story and the conflict of afghanistan this is just after the 10-year war with russia um i just thought wow this is a really fascinating story and no one's reporting on it Mm. so i was like i'm going so i just (laughs) i flew out um (laughs) i flew out to pakistan and i ended up talking my way on so this would never happen now i talked my way onto a united nations flight from islamabad and they flew me into mazar sharif in the north where the refugee crisis was and i started with the refugee story and then i ended up befriending people at meds on frontier which um mm. helped 
helped me. Uh, well, I was, you know, basically disguised as one of their doctors and they they helped me get into Kabul, which was under incredible bombardment at the time. It was being rocketed and shelled. And there were three different factions fighting for control of the city. So it was a massive war. And, and I was one of the only photographers. Maybe there were a couple of others, like an AFP photographer, Reuters maybe, but there was no one there. And I thought, wow, I've this is an incredible story and no one's talking about it yet. The world should know about it. Mm. And so I wanted to photograph and bring back stories from that, that conflict. And that started my obsession with Afghanistan. I mean, I fell in love with the place. I, I really, the people were really just beautiful and the country is just so, you know, epic and, and wild and I mean just inc and incredible to photograph in so yeah, again photography you know is, is always a big part of it you know um and that that's kind of where that started you know back in 93 and um and you know probably that was the beginning of not the first major conflict because I'd been covering a couple of conflicts in Africa before that you know I'd been in Angola covering the civil war and I'd been in you know Somalia, and then I would go back and do more in Africa as well. So, but 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 it was certainly the beginning of a, a, a long-term love affair with Afghanistan. Stephen, you were given access to the Northern Alliance leader. I'm going to call him because yeah. the the press called him a warlord, and I'll ask you about that. And which often is a negative connotation. To something, you know what I mean? Ahmed yeah. Saad Masood, is that correct? Yeah. I, I, I Ahmed Shah Masood. Yeah. Ahmed Shah Masood, yeah. Yeah. Could you share with us how you came, how that all came about and perhaps share your experience and story with that? Because I've seen some of your images and they're they're amazing, but it's the way you've captured him that mm. um, <laughs> in a human element that yeah. Yeah. the connotation warlord you know, mm. or, or the title mm. of the warlord yeah. would, would sort of, it's not what you would anticipate when you see your No, images. no, that, that's interesting. And look, you know, Masood was, uh, I was very lucky, you know. I mean, I was lucky because I was just given such incredible access uh, yes. that not many people were given. Um, I think maybe the only other photographer in the world that had the kind of access that I had was Reza. Um, who who was with Masood during the Russian war. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when Masood, the thing is I was I was working a lot with the French press and and so I, I managed to, I can't remember how it happened, but I, I, I managed to hook up with Le Figaro magazine in Paris mm -hmm. and and that the the writer, one of the journal, the, the the main you know chief journalists there, wanted to go and do stories in Afghanistan, and he'd heard that I'd been there, and so we talked, and then he said, "Oh, look, why don't we go and do a story on Masood?" This is like in '95 when Masood was in Kabul and the then defense minister, and um, and so we did. We 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 got the permission, and Masood invited us out for a, a profile piece for the, for the magazine. Um, he loved the French Masood. So that was a, that, that helped. Masood mm. studied in Paris. He, he mm. spoke French and he, he, he was really, the French were big supporters of him. And in fact, looked up to him as more of a, you know, uh, a kind of a, a war hero, you know, mm. he was kind of a Che Guevara kind of guy, mm. you know, and, and so, 
my first time there was great. It was like really just fly on the wall. It's exactly what I, how I like to work. And I never, I never got to interfere with anything he was doing. It was purely observational and, and purely observational photography. And I love that. And, and I think Masood really loved that too, because he was a very busy, very important person that didn't want to be bothered by anyone. I mean, the only thing that was the journalist would, would interview him and so forth, but I would just be left to to follow him for days and days, you know, weeks. It was incredible. And so I had this amazing body of work of everything from him, you know, picking flowers in the garden to having an ice cream in the backyard, you know, with one of his leaders and then praying and 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 then going out with the troops and, you know, um, doing what a minister does and, and, and so forth. And that first trip and that, photo essay on Masood led to the second trip, which was even more interesting, mm. which was in 98. And so Masood invited Jean-Marie Montalili, was the journalist, invited him and myself back to do a second profile on him, on Masood for the Le Figaro magazine. And again, we spent this time with him and got incredible access. This time, he's like in control of only 10% the country he's fighting the taliban which have control of 90 percent of the country so this is a time before 2001 and all of that you know sort of the the war on terror so we're talking about masood against you know the taliban and and so we're in you know we're traveling around Badakhshan and the north and the panjshir valley and again this observational thing and 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 really intimate access and I wanted to show the human side of him. You know, he mm. was, yeah, I mean, you know, what, you call him a warlord, you call him a, a, a resistance leader. Yeah. You know, he's all of these things, depending on who you ask. Mm. I saw him, I saw him as a, 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 as a, as a, as a human being. And, yeah. and I wanted to capture that. I didn't want to judge him. It's not yeah. my place to judge. So yeah. for me, it was really, how do I humanize this person? Yeah. And, and that was like, photographing him at the dinner table um there's a shot i did where he's massaging his foot at at the at the breakfast table which i thought was really really strange but really beautiful you know he's actually if you look at the photo he's you can see he's actually giving his foot a massage you know and all of these really subtle moments praying um you know pe people reacting to him like he's a god you know just the, the kind of ec ecstasy of that people have for him mm trying to capture that world, um, you know, and that's my job. And as a photographer, that that's what I was there to do. And uh, I remember this wonderful moment when Masood's minder, like his assistant, you know, the guy that's all, you know, he's kind of second in charge kind of thing, um, who was always with us. Um, I came up to him and I said, I, I asked him, I said, look, um, why, why, um, you know, why is Masood giving? I was just curious, like, why, and why am I getting such incredible access? Why, why is Masood allowing me to photograph all this stuff? And he turned around to me and said, because Masood told me that he doesn't see you. It's like you're not there. Mm, and it was a great compliment, you mm. know, um, because it was like I'm the fly on the wall. I'm the guy who doesn't bother him who doesn't ask him questions who doesn't get in his way mm. uh, and he said that he just leaves you to do your thing because he doesn't notice you anymore and i thought that mm. was really wonderful yeah 
as a photographer, it's a great compliment coming from someone like that. It is. You know, you hope for that kind of reaction, um, but it doesn't always come. People are always self-conscious or, you know, Masood completely ignored me. And I think that's why the photographs are very authentic and they really express this real human side to him. So, you know, I think, I, I think I'd, I captured that side of Masood really well. It was one of my one of my most, I think, strongest, more intimate portraits of of certain of of a, of a person. I'd go as far as to say he didn't ignore you. I think he just felt ultimately comfortable with you and trusted Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He trusted yeah. me. Yeah. He trusted yeah. you. No question. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. He was interested in photography too. In fact, there was one time where he took my camera. He took some photographs with it. Um, just yeah. on the side kind of thing. But yeah. He had an interest in photography. Stephen, this is right. so fascinating. I just love the daring do of, you know, going to Afghanistan off your own steam and <laughs> <laughs> falling in love with the country and, you know, getting this access to these amazing people. And so then 2001 happens, 9-11, the Americans come to Afghanistan. So tell us the, the difference between how it felt on the ground, you know, in the 90s compared to in the 2000s. Well, the 90s were, were really f- kind of free you know and i was with the afghans and and i was with masood a lot of the time so it was a very different kind of period um it was it was it was kind of more dangerous in a way back in the 90s you know just because it was very much um the 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 sides were quite blurred and you know kabul was 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 very very risky there was a lot of fighting um, a lot of checkpoints you weren't sure who to trust Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were many different factions. Whereas when the Americans got involved, you're kind of with the Americans. And then if you're with the Americans, you're with the Afghans, they're with the Americans. It was a very different it was it felt it was definitely a lot safer in 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 your sort of understanding of what side you're on. Um mm. And and you you know there was quite a lot of protection. I mean, of course, anything can happen in war. You can get blown up by an IED or suicide bomber and all of that stuff was coming into play, which wasn't back in the nineties. The nineties were just gun battles and rockets and planes dropping bombs and um, helicopter gunships and you know all that kind of stuff. Whereas um, uh, it, was a, it was a more of a uh, a hidden enemy now with IEDs and landmines and all you know. Um, and and so yeah it was it was different um and a lot more obviously a lot more red tape with the americans and the australians and the brits and everyone else i embedded with mm. um it's during that period for me it was about embedding a lot of the time i mean i did do some quite a lot of stories outside of the embedding where i was sort of focusing on say you know the drugs you know the opium and you know mm. i did a really big story on uh, heroin addiction um, with a, a writer friend of mine, Jacques Menache, and uh, that became a book and a you know a film and everything. Um, and so you know, I was conscious of staying to the human story. I mean, you know, with war, you know, it's 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 easy to get sucked into the the bang bang and the kind yeah. of the the you know the the fighting. And for me, I. I kept wanting to go away from that and I kept wanting to go to the people mm. and I kept wanting to tell their story. So I think if you look at my book, Generation AK, it really shows in there that I've really focused on the Afghans, um, not not so much on the fighting, but more on 
the you know what happens as a result of war you know yeah. uh, what what is what are the scars of war and the trauma of war and i wanted to capture that in people uh in in, in the afghans to honor them in their struggle i mean it is about their struggle and and for me that was always about that and i was constantly being drawn to stories to capture that kind of humanity or that inhumanity so stephen just touching on that, the, how the war changed and it became more of a guerrilla warfare type thing and there was being new tactics employed with suicide bombers. In 2008, you were actually caught in a tragic event with the suicide bomber mm. where a, 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 he blew himself up about five metres away from you. Now, I, I watched I watched the report on you um, and yourself. You were recording yourself after it just yeah. happened. Amazingly, saw how you managed to do this. And you <laughs> asked you asked yourself... <laughs> forever the professional yeah. you know um you asked yourself while you're walking along not knowing if you were actually severely injured or not whether it was just the adrenaline kicking through why do you do this job mm. and i'm just wondering did you ever find the answer stephen <laughs> no one's ever asked me that um no i haven't found the answer <laughs> I sorry i don't want to turn a tragic no. moment into a or a horrific moment? moment into a but you know it, it's at that moment where you go like it was what a the moment. fuck am i yeah. doing this for you know like it's true i think it was a momentary lapse of reasoning you know i i i think i was heavily under the influence of adrenaline yeah. and shock yes obviously um and so at that moment on questioning that, you know, why am I doing this? And I was really angry with the people who you know, blew them, you know, the, yeah. the suicide and then being attacked by the Taliban. I was really pissed off. And, and also my friend, my colleague was badly injured oh. and I didn't know, I didn't know what state he was in. Mm. I didn't even know if he was alive. Mm. So I was, I was kind of going through all of these mixed emotions and I was really angry and I was sort of, yeah, I guess I was just sort of venting my, mm my my frustration at, of of questioning that why do i do this you know and i think it was something that i was just it's something i might have asked myself internally but because i was filming myself i was mm. i was just expressing it to the camera um because uh, I, I why i did it i don't know i, I think it was just a moment of just mm. that's kind of where how i was rolling with it and 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 i was just maybe i had to have some sort of reassurance that yeah. if I could have a camera there, I could express myself better, you know, um, and and uh, and all of these things were going. You know, I was going, I was processing a lot of <laughs> shock stuff, you know, and <laughs> and 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 what had happened and all that kind of thing. But to answer your question, I don't think I've come up with a, I don't think I've come up with an answer. I'm still doing it, mm. so um, <laughs> yeah. I haven't stopped doing it. I think I. Maybe well, I I've, think you have found the answer if you're still doing it, Steve. Yeah, you, know, you realize there's well, it's like you got to get back up on the horse, you know. Like I think uh, within about four months, I went back to Afghanistan after the bombing, and I I did a an embed with the Gurkhas, with the British Gurkhas, um, <laughs> and and that for me was I pushed myself to do it mm. because I was still a bit unstable from the suicide bombing, and I was yeah. like, oh, you know. But I did it, and, and I'm glad I did because it really kind of it helped me process that trauma mm. and got me back, so to speak, on the horse. It got me back into the country that I, you know, I loved, and and the story that I wanted to honor and c continue to photograph. Mm. Um, you know, I just won the the Gene Smith 
with my Afghanistan work. And I also felt the pressure to produce that work for the Gene Smith grant. So mm-hmm. I was, I wanted, I didn't want to stop. I wanted to finish the work. And so by 2014, you know, I'd gone back in 2009 and did the embed with the Marines and then went back with the Australians, with the Australian War Memorial, actually. Um, and then, then decided that that was 20 years and I would do the book. So, um, so yeah, I'm still doing it. And, you know, it doesn't stop me from, um, maybe I, I'm, I, you know, I, I, you know, certainly don't want to, you know, get myself blown up again, but it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. sometimes people have just got a calling and maybe that's your calling, Stephen. And yeah, maybe you don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, well, well maybe you do. I don't well, know. I, just... We always have a choice. <laughs> I mean, devil's you know, advocate thing. I think, you know, I mean, I, I have a family and stuff, so I'm less likely to, you know, um, take those kind of risks. So, you know, but yeah, look, it happens. Um, so just touching on that, because that's one of my questions that's perfectly lined up. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> now, just spoken about what you want to do and you know this is your passion i would say it's your passion because you want to you want to uh, tell people about the tragedies in the world and share their stories and so people have an understanding of what's going on and that's great when it's just you but how you're throwing yourself into some very dicey situations i mean mm-hmm. for god's sake you couldn't get any closer than being blown up than five meters away yeah how is it how does that impact on your family and how do they feel about you going out and gripping the world by the you know what's and and yeah, well, going, I'm I'm going to do this yeah and well, sayonara babe and yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. is it right you have a daughter as well is that correct yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah how how yeah. difficult is that for you to do that well, to it's difficult and also yeah. have the support of your family how do they feel well, about it well yeah it was easier when my daughter was younger you know when she mm. didn't quite understand although I remember. This amazing moment when she was about five years old, mm. and um, I I was going to. This is it's not a war, but it was a terrible story. It was when the um, the, the 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 typhoon in the Philippines happened. You know, typhoon Haiyan or Yolanda was like wiped out hundreds of thousands of people. It was a massive story, and I I went over for the New Yorker magazine um, and. I remember going up to her and saying, oh, look, you know, I've got to go and photograph um, this typhoon. It's killed a lot of people in the Philippines. I was trying to I was trying to explain to this five-year-old girl and what I was doing as a photographer and, and what it meant to me and that it was really mm-hmm. important that the world sees these photographs and I'm working for this really great magazine called The New Yorker. And then my daughter just sort of looked at me and goes, you know, she, her exact words were like, um, oh, you're not, you, you don't care about any of that. All you want to do is go over and photograph dead people. Mm. <laughs> something something along those lines, you know. <laughs> you know, oh. it's like she just read straight through me. It's like you just want to go and throw to, photograph dead people. Um, and, it, you know, how how does that how does that importance you know reflect on me? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you know this is just about you wanting to go over and photograph it. But it was it, it just sort of stunned me. It was quite a mm-hmm. it was quite a moment. Um, I mean, not not that that's you know yes I I did want to go and photograph. That's kind of the reality of what you're getting yourself into with uh, a tsunami. But um, you know, but it was coming from a five year old. But but now it's getting more difficult because she's sixteen and you know 
Um, I mean, I, you know, I struggled a little bit with going to Ukraine because she didn't want me to go, and but I still went, and I think she understood. Um, and I might have kind of mentioned that I wasn't going to cover any conflicts. So mm. yeah. <laughs> sometimes you got to lie a little bit, you know, and, and tell a few stories in order to, mm, to cross the hurdles. Yeah. Um, don't, don't uh, the truth getting away with a good story, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But look, you know, honestly. Aside from that, a lot of the work that I'm doing these days are more project-based, they're more long-term stories, mm. and they they don't always, you know, then they're not always war-related. I mean, mm. I'm very, you know, very much involved in the environment these days. I'm, you know, which is another kind of war. I'm I'm really in tune with trying to do stories that mean something to me personally. And in mm. fact, it was my daughter who inspired me to do to do work around the environment because. It's her generation, of course, that are going to face this crisis more than anything. And mm-hmm. so that inspired me to start looking at the planet and looking at, you know, the earth and and the problems that we're having with climate change and so forth. So she's been a great inspiration for that. Um, but I'm, I'm multitasking, you know, I'm doing lots of different things, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm designing books for people. I'm making documentary films. I'm doing my own books. I'm doing a lot of archival projects. So... I'm not always shooting these days. I'm doing a lot of editing, a lot of production, a lot of which, you know, culminates from 30 years of photography. So it's kind of it's a good time to do that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, you know, right now with Israel and Gaza, of course I want to go. You know, it's like, shit, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very it's very hard. It's very frustrating. I mean, part of that problem is not so much my family. It's actually getting an assignment. It's really hard. It's Mm. really hard to get an assignment these days. I mean, you know, it's not like it was when I was, you know, based in London and and photographing Mm. around the world. It's times have changed. And so, um, you know, yes, I could go over there and and just do my own thing. But this is the kind of story I think I'd want to have some backing. Yeah, Mm. sure. Stephen, I want to ask you about um, your current projects. I saw you work at the Ballarat International Photo Biennale, which was amazing. Um, but just want to touch on something you said before. Your daughter said you like to go and photograph dead people. I remember you telling a story um, that you were embedded with the Marines in the, the US Army and you did famously photograph some dead people, which led to a bit of a controversy. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what happened there? Well, was that? that was a Taliban burning episode in 2005. So American soldiers had burnt the bodies of two dead Taliban com- combatants. Um, and I'd managed to, I was embedded with them and I managed to capture that on, on, on video and also stills. You know, I was photographing it and shooting video. Um, it was just one of those moments I knew that as it was unfolding, it, it was so shocking and so confronting. And um, I just went with the flow of, of capturing it, um, which is why I, you know, I, I, I shot video as well. It was kind of like I'd taken stills and I thought I've got to capture video as well. This is something that I've never seen before. I didn't quite understand at the time how big it would be, but certainly when the story broke, which it was, it was all over the world when it, when it got released. I mean, it was a massive story. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, led to a lot of controversy, led to a lot of blowback when the American military i mean um it changed us military policy which was a great thing so my you know my there is you know the repercussion of my photographs and and the story and the video footage um instigated a a a a policy change 
Yeah, it was was one of those things that, you know, comes once in your life. I mean, it was really, and that photograph of the burning bodies became quite iconic. I mean, the New York Times ran it and it was nominated for a Pulitzer and, you know, mm. got a Robert Kappa citation and, you know, got it got a lot of awards and recognition. But, you know, f- first and foremost, for me, it was that, it was wrong. It was wrong what they were doing, no matter they're your enemy, but you don't burn them and you don't. And But it went beyond that because they were using psychological operations to actually instigate a psyops tactic where they were sending off very um, slanderous, um, very aggressive uh, commentary about the bodies burning, facing west towards Mecca and all that sort of thing. I don't know how much you know about the story, but... Mm-hmm. It's it's quite involved, but essentially, you know, it it looked like a determined psychological operations event, and and was certainly turned into that. And so, for me to capture that and tell the world what was going on in terms of what the Americans did was was really bad for them. I mean, it it really didn't look good on the Americans. I mean, the the Afghans were very, you know, even like the Afghan government that was supporting the Americans were. I mean, there were literally people rioting in the streets in Jalalabad and in Pakistan, and you know, and this followed an episode where the Americans had put a Quran down the toilet, like a few months before this. The Americans were going through a pretty rough time with the Islamic world, anyway. Mm. And then you had Abu Ghraib, you know. So it was kind of like another—I wouldn't say nothing like Abu Ghraib in Iraq, but this was another sort of you know thorn in the American military and. And and in you know in, in George Bush and and it was really like you know I remember Donald Rumsfeld had come out and actually said some some comments direct directly at this footage which was uh, wow. was was huge and 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 I had yeah the whole world's media were kind of like calling me up to do radio interviews it was it was absolute um, it was what 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 do you call it it was a uh, on the, on the internet, it was just a viral. It was a viral. Oh, viral. Yeah, yeah. It, viral. Yeah. It, it was viral, man. But it was viral in so many ways. Um, um, but I wasn't. Yeah, it was hard because I knew I'd get these guys into trouble, and I, I really liked them. You know, they were really good to me, and so it was. I was quite torn with the mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. but I still, I couldn't hold back. I couldn't not show it. I had photographed it, and they had allowed me to do it, and so it is what it is and and that these were the results so even though these guys got into trouble and they hated me for it and i think uh for a few years after that i couldn't embed because mm. i was blacklisted from the american military mm. um and it wasn't until 2009 when obama became president that i tried again to embed and then i was allowed so new president you know <laughs> what's well, uh, um, yeah Look, we, we live in a world now where we're bombarded by content and there are so many things vying for our eyeballs all the time. And I know you've probably been asked this a million times, but oh, forgive me, I'll ask it again. But do you think photos still have the power to change minds in this day and age? Oh, I think so. I think certain photos do. Mm. I think I think sadly we're oversaturated. Mm. That That is a problem because there's a lot of great imagery, but we're just oversaturated with it. Like, yeah. look at Gaza right now. It's mm. just an oversaturation of misery. It need we need to see it. You know, there's no question. But if you talk about images that you know have that impact and make changes, uh, certainly yes, absolutely. Um, but it's hard to pinpoint. 
you know, certain iconic photographic images within the context of the viral mass of stuff, if you know what I mean. It's very, there are, I think I saw an image on Instagram that Patrick Whitty had put up of this woman who was cradling, you know, her daughter and it was a very Madonna-like kind of figure and it was you didn't see any faces, you didn't see any blood. It was just this incredible sculptural image and he was sort of comparing it to the great James Nackway picture in the Sahal where the woman's holding the the child in the white, you know, it's very famous photograph. And, and, and you know, so, yeah, there are going to be iconic images and, and they will have the power and do have the power. Um, but it's just finding those within the context of, of the... Uh, you know the the quicksand of <laughs> of imagery um you know that's out there photography i think will always have that power you know it's um i became a photographer because of that i became a photographer because i knew the power of of what a still photograph can can hold Stephen, uh, we can talk uh, to you about your work in Afghanistan for hours. It's absolutely incredibly fascinating, but I'm conscious time is against us. Um, we've almost hit the hour mark, and I just want to ask you a couple of more questions about your uh, your other projects before we wrap up. So I went to the Ballarat uh, Photo Biennale a couple of weeks ago. It's just wrapped up and saw your Fucked Up Photos exhibition. So tell the <laughs> listeners about that project, how it came about, and I believe there's a book in the works that people can uh, pick up if they want to. Yeah, that's there. There is Mark. Um, there is a book. Uh, when it's coming out, I'm I'm not sure. It's been sitting with Steidel for a while, so I'm um, I'm doing a book with Gerhardt. Uh, it'd be my second book with Steidel. Um, it, he's notoriously slow, um, <laughs> Gerhardt. So it could be. It's meant to be out now. Um, I'm hoping it'll be out soon, though. I mean, it's 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 ready to proof and then print. So could be next month or it could be in the next six months i'm not sure uh but um yeah you know that's that's pretty exciting i mean it, it's it's a project that was very dear to my heart and uh it came about during covid actually uh, you know while we were kind of in lockdowns and i couldn't really travel uh i spent a lot of time uh down in the studio looking through my archive i mean most of my archive is analog um you know the you know a lot of the the stuff that i i shoot is film i mean i mean i shoot a lot of digital these days but um a big big proportion of my archive in the arc and 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 the work that i'm really proud of is is often film based and personal and and as i was going through the archive and sorting things out i was cataloging and i thought fuck i've got to do something in covid you know i'm going to make make the most <laughs> of it and i started looking through all my contact sheets uh again and you know some i hadn't seen in 20 years or you know i mean it's it's really interesting when you go back and look at your early work and you start to see things with different eyes and uh you know often i mean when i'm editing i'm i'm you know, i use chinograph so i i never rub out my my editing process and so i go back and i look at my original edit marks and see the chinograph marks and often i actually see photos that I've completely missed because when I first looked at that work when I was younger, I, I didn't have the experience or the knowledge or the eye to realize that, in fact, some of the photos that I completely 
um, misplaced or you know didn't didn't sort of mark up were were in fact really good photos. And so it's interesting in that process to go and see that work with with new eyes and um, and and dis- discover actually Jesus. You know why didn't I mark that one up? You know that's really interesting. <laughs> and often they're kind of more haphazard, kind of you know fluid, um, kind of imperfect yep. kind of photos, which I have become to really appreciate. And fucked up photos takes imperfection to a whole other level. <laughs> um, and 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 while I was going through this process, I started to see, you know, like the I shoot on Leicas, so a lot of my my you know my my I have a zero frame, and then I have like half frames, and then often with a Leica you can you can kind of accidentally double expose when mm. your spool doesn't wind on, or um, you know in the in the situation of um, uh, f- opening up the back of the film by accident. Uh, sorry, the camera when when you forgot the films in there. <laughs> I mean, I've done all these mistakes that we all do mm. um, over the years, and I've built up this archive of kind of fuck ups, I guess. So <laughs> I started to see these images that I originally just sort of you know didn't even think about looking at, and I looked at them carefully and started to see something really quite beautiful and uh artistic and and surreal and it was a whole different way of looking at my photography obviously mm. um particularly the double exposures mm. and and I thought wow there's something there's something really interesting here and so that encouraged me to go through every single contact sheet and and so I did over many months and came up with a a very large collection and then I edited it down because I felt like I had something, I had a project here, I had a book, and and that's how the book came about. I mean, it really came about from this editing process, and the photos range from double exposures, exposures to light leaks, chemical emulsion spills, mm. um, X-ray damage. In the case of a trip I did to Israel once during the Intifada, where mm. the Israeli security forces intentionally x-rayed my films 10 times in three different machines <laughs> oh, no. and, and managed to destroy pretty much half of the film but the the film that did survive had such bad x-ray damage that um initially i was just devastated but then when this project came about i thought oh hang on this is this is really interesting and and they're quite beautiful and they had this really strange fog and 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 and, and grain um and so i some of those photos are in the book of course and uh and then you know reticulation which is something that happens during a processing of a film where the 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 chemicals are too hot and it cracks the film and you end up with this um incredible mosaic looking Mm. image that they kind of look like maggots if you look closely at it and one of the photos in ballarat you might have seen of the shooter had that reticulation yes Um, so I was wondering what that was. Up. Yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, <laughs> in, in so, a beautiful you know, sense. Yeah. it made me appreciate the imperfection of photography a lot more, and it made me actually analyze my own work and my own vision mm. to the point where I was questioning what makes a good photograph. You know, like mm-hmm. I've spent my whole life trying to make perfect photos, and here's mm. something that challenges that. And I thought, you know, mate, I'm not saying it's my best work by any means, but it's certainly the most unique and certainly the most adventurous that I've done. And I thought this is something that 
I would like people to see, I'd like the world to see. I, I, I'm not afraid to show contact sheets or how, how that process comes about. Some some photographers are, um, but I'm happy to share that. And and it was looking at that beauty and, and that real kind of strange thing where you start to see a story within the photo, a different kind of story because of the elements of what's happening. And uh, And it was really exciting, you know. I think it's amazing, Stephen, that you've been able to uh, produce a potential book from your fuck ups. Most of us are just trying, are just trying to get yes. enough photographs together <laughs> to produce something half decent. You know. And you've gone well. You know, through COVID, I just thought, what am I going to do? I'll go through all my shit photos, and <laughs> and oh my God, I've got a wonderful project and a book here. And, yeah, yeah. and everyone's going, what a master! Well done. But I think yeah. I think it's and- important. It's right what you said. Yeah. We go out as photographers trying to make sure everything's in focus and nothing yeah. has grain and all of this stuff, exposure's perfectly correct and blah, 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 and everything's stopped in time and everything's sharp. It doesn't really matter. That doesn't no. really always add to mm, no. the story. It's our own yeah. perfection going into going into it, isn't it, really? Well, that stops us from choosing a potential. Ab- absolutely, photo. absolutely. And, and I just want to emphasise that, Every single photograph I chose was unintentional. So I never sought hmm. to create that image. It was all accidental. And when I write about it in my book, I write this essay to explain. And I sort of say, well, in fact, I didn't really take these photos. <laughs> I mean, I I was I, I, I clicked the shutter, hmm. but because it was not my intention and I didn't know what was going to happen that it was created by other means, you know, my, often my own negligence or in hmm. the case of going to Israel, um, censorship, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, the, these things were, that that for me was really interesting that it wasn't my intention and they weren't really, they're not really 100% my images if, if, if I'm making myself clear enough in that mm. it's, yes, I'm the author, but did I make them? Yes, I did, but I, I didn't really create them that way. They were created by, you know, by science or by, by accidents and, and things like that, chance and, you know, and, and I think that's also what photography is too. I mean, when we go out on the street and we, we make these photographs, everything is by chance or by accident or yep. by luck or yes. so forth. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I took it to Steidl, I didn't know if he'd like it or not. <laughs> no, I mean, Gerhardt's a pretty, a pretty out there guy. And if he likes something, it's great. Cause he, you know, he'll publish it, but, I, I thought he might think it was shit, you know. I mean, <laughs> I no idea, you know. I, I liked it, um, and and I was lucky because he he really did like it. He he he, and I think he saw something in it as well, and and he immediately said, "Yeah, let's publish it." You know, this is this is really great. So that cool. was exciting. Just frustrating to wait wait for it to come out, but look, you know, it will come out. Just um, you know, in good time. Patience, Stephen. Patience. Well, I can't. Yeah, wait. you've got to be patient with Gerhardt. <laughs> I can't wait to see it, Stephen. Right it's going to be going to be amazing. And um, speaking of photos that aren't one hundred percent yours that are created by science, I also saw your work at the Bowness Prize, where you were a finalist. And on the placard um, describing oh, yeah. your photograph, it says this photograph was created with a camera, not the use of AI. And it's yeah. funny that you have to say that these days in a photography competition. <laughs> Well, it's mad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's mad that it's come to this, but it has. And uh, I've just seen so many 
AI images and 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 also questionable photos that are not clarified as AI. People trying to get away with with photography using AI, and I just thought, you know, I've got to make a statement here. I've got to say that this is actually a real photo. Mm-hmm. You know, I took this photo, and 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 uh, you know, I didn't create it. You know, through artificial intelligence, and yeah, it's a sad time to have to kind of. But I guess that that is the time we are in, and it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, with technologies and with, with what AI is doing. I mean, um, you know, but I, I I stick to you know, yeah, my 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 feelings of photography is very strong in that you know I I think it's really important that you are the author, um, you know, not 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 from you know i don't think i i don't think ai allows you to be an author of something because mm. you're using intelligence gathered from so many sources mm. that yeah. is not your property I, I don't know how people can justify it i really don't do you think it's going to re- do you think ai is going to replace photography like you're a photojournalist and well, the way the technology's moved in the last 8 months to a year has been phenomenal from where it started and the the quality of the images that they can produce they don't even have to send people like yourself to the war zone anymore they can just create their own narrative do you think do you think that's like I'm being too Orwellian or uh... <laughs> um, a devastating thought <laughs> I it's a devastating thought but you're not too far from the truth. I mean, you know, look, we're seeing it now. Mm-hmm. We're only seeing it maybe in a small way, but it's only going to get worse, you know, without a que- without question. Uh, will it take over photography? I don't think it will. I mm. think there'll always be photographers who appreciate the art of taking photos and, um, you know, the challenge and, mm-hmm. and risks and all of those things involved in being a photographer. Um, I think... The issue is you're now competing with mm-hmm. AI yeah. and, and you're not just competing with other photographers anymore and that's scary. And I think where it'll hurt most is in the advertising industry and the fashion industry. They'll probably go first because they're commonly um, notorious in manipulation anyway. Yeah. So when they see something that can make a beauty product a model even better by using AI. I mean, shit, they're going to do it. You know, there's no <laughs> stopping it. So advertising, commercials, why not? They're going to do it too. It's going to save them on paying photographers, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, th- it's going to be a cost-effective thing. Um, where it comes to the important thing is street photography and, and, and documentary photography, what it does to that is anyone's question because, yes, it will have an impact, but hopefully there'll always be people asking questions and saying that this is real Mm. or this is not real. And, and, you know, with a situation that we're dealing with right now in Gaza, for example, Mm. you know, you need to, you need to be looking at authentic imagery. Sadly, there's so much coming out. You don't know what is authentic or not, but within the context of that, there will be photographers' names that come up that you trust mm-hmm. and you will go, okay, you know, um, I know that photographer's work and I know that person works for the New York Times or whatever. I'm going to trust that this is real. Mm. So I think you got to read between. It just becomes like a lot more digging to find out, you know. It's a bit like digging through Instagram to find out 
really good photos, you know, yeah, because yeah. there's so much rubbish, you know. Yeah. Like, so it, it's wonderful when you come across these, you know, great photos, but you got to dig, you, you got to mine for them, you know, in yeah. order to find the gold. That's right. You do find the little nuggets. Now, find Stephen- the nuggets, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, you got to trawl through all the, yeah. all, all, all yeah. the sewerage, you know, and, and <laughs> finally you, 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 you kind of move the turds away. And <laughs> you find a piece of gold down in the sewer pipe, oh. you know, it's great. It's, and, you know, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, it still excites me. I mean, photography yeah. is really exciting when you see great work. Um, mm. And and what I love about what you guys are doing is that you're coming from a street photography thing. Mm. And that, like I said, I think at the beginning of the podcast, I was saying, it's really at the heart of what I do and what I love. And, and you know, with street photography, there's, there's, there's nowhere really to go except for to be on the street you know, with the rhythm of the street and, yep. and dance with the people and make these photographs that are completely unique and spontaneous and and hopefully AI won't take that away. Hopefully it won't. But, Steve, you've just segued perfectly into my next question. Oh, yeah, okay, good. It's like this was rehearsed, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. It's been amazing. It's All great. Right. So you've just spoken, you've said that, you know, uh, we've spoken about your photojournalism quite a lot, but... And you've also said that your photography always starts on the street, even even to a part where you're, you know, your photojournalism. But Little Birdie has told us that you have a shit hot collection of actual street photos of your own that you don't show anyone, that you mm. keep you keep to yourself. Well, is, it, is, this, is this Little Birdie <laughs> true, or, or or are we just making um, this up? Is this like an exclusive, Stephen? Or uh, you'll have to wait and see. You know? Oh, <laughs> it'll be a bit like it'll be like fucked up photos. You know, oh. I'll come out with I'll come out with a project, and uh, yeah, absolutely, no, no question. I mean, I, I have a I have a, an archive of street photography that I haven't really shown. Um, wow, and uh, I, I have people nudging me to do something with it and and yeah i should and i will um like anything i i just don't like to do anything um unless i'm ready and and mm-hmm. i really feel that uh, although i feel like i could do something i'm just trying to finish off other projects and then then i will get on to yeah i would love to do something like that because wow. you know may, maybe it's i would you know i'm not going to kind of preempt anything but i would if i was to do something like there would be it would be my most personal work and i think it would yes. be my best work you know wow. um so it yeah. would be something to look forward to i hope Hell because yeah. it really is exciting to to look at that and go wow you know because you know that is like i said it's at the heart of what i do uh, i mean you know I, I i took up photography because you know i was inspired by a yep. lot of these you know people who were either street photographers or or serious documentary photographers that believed in the moment believed in capturing yeah moment you know well i don't know i, I think both mark and myself are really really <laughs> like talk yeah. to the talk to the fella in germany we don't give away your sources no no it's okay no but no. uh I better, um, I better get, I better get editing and uh, no pressure. Photos, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now we always have one like very cliched question that we ask Stephen, mm-hmm. and but we do it after every after every chat and conversation that we have with somebody, and this is it. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, it be, yeah, ready. is it the same question you ask everyone, or is it exactly, different? Stephen? That's it. Yep. 
Well, if you could okay, go anywhere um, in the world, where would you go to photograph and why? And please don't pick a war zone because it mentioned Israel before. <laughs> all right? So don't say Israel. Right? I already, I already got you. <laughs> Did a preempted strike. <laughs> so not Israel, right? Somewhere else. <laughs> God. Um, got you on the spot now, haven't uh, I? No, I could say the moon would be interesting yeah, uh, if you? I could get up there. Um, but there wouldn't be much. Well, we don't know. That's because there wouldn't be any people up there. It'd just be kind of craters and stuff, you know. Mm. But it'd be interesting. No, honestly, I think I I would have to say Iran. Yep. Wow. I know that's kind of boring, but Iran yeah. is a country that I have been wanting to go to pretty much my whole life. Mm. I attempted once and they wouldn't let me in. Um, I tried to cross over once from Turkey and and I, I got turned back at the border. Um I would desperately like to go to Iran and be and, and the reason I want to go to Iran is because I just think it's it, it you know it must be one of the most extra you know extraordinarily beautiful countries and mm. and culturally um I think it's also connected to Afghanistan for me because I spent so much time in Afghanistan right on the Iranian border and their history and culture blends in mm. and and Iran is really the pinnacle of Persia and and you know my goes back to my ancient history mm. kind of you know infatuation back at school and even now that you know i'm just fascinated with the persian empire and and i would just deeply love to explore iran just from a personal point of view also politically mm. i think what's happening in iran or has been for a time and and because it's closed off to most of the world um, it's it's really um, it's really distressing to see what they're doing with women over yeah. there and and how they're you know um, you know preventing uh, you know preventing people from demonstrating and also just that sort of incarceration of of women's rights and and mm. and, and the youth. I just think Iran would be really fascinating and and I think a, a place to take street photography for sure. Absolutely, you know? and um, I haven't been there, and hopefully I'll get there one day. And everyone I've spoken to just says, you know, the people are so welcoming and so lovely mm. and they're just run by this, you know, maniac religious administration. Yeah, so it's just I like, know. And, you know, know, you're right, you know, they've sort of got this wave of women's emancipation and, and someone like yourself would be an amazing to, to go and, and, you know, do stories there. Absolutely. That, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, one day, hopefully, yeah. Love to. And I've met, I've met a couple of Iranian uh, people here, photographers that I'm friends with, mm. and also... I work in the university system and I have a lot of access to people from Iran. They're yeah. absolutely beautiful people. I know. They <laughs> really, are. really yeah, beautiful. They really, really are. Really, it's just, uh, lovely, lovely people. It's, it's just the Ayatollahs, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, right. <laughs> you know, you know, we could talk. It's always religion, mate. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, always like, yeah, the Italians were beautiful as well. And so, yeah, we don't. We do, that's yeah. a different story. Yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> uh, we better. We better not go <laughs> we there. Not, we might. We might. We might have a call from the Pope. So <laughs> we better leave it at that. You know. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Damon. It has been an absolute pleasure, and uh, to listen to your journey and your stories. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for your time. Uh, no, I speak on behalf of Mark and myself. Thank it's been you so amazing. Much. Stephen, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, Donna. Really appreciate you having me on the program, mate. Thanks, guys. All the best. All right. See ya. See ya.